The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence with Claudette Rowley. Conversations that are transforming the world of culture and business. Claudette brings fresh, innovative perspectives that push the boundaries of what organizational cultures can and should be. Learn how to catalyze your organization's workforce into an authentic, intentional, and financially successful culture. Now here's your host, Claudette Rowley. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so, so very thrilled to be connecting with all of you. What a great show we have got for you today. Uh, many of you have heard me talk about the amazing work that Claudette Rowley is doing in the world. And it's something that is so very near and dear to my heart. Many of you have heard the show that uh, she and I did. We are doing an entire radio series on this because for us, we have been down the pathway of what it means not just to work in organizations, in corporations, in the United States and even abroad, but what does it mean to be part of the culture of an organization? What have we seen that works and doesn't work? And this is why I am thrilled to introduce all of you to Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of Organizational Excellence with Claudette Rowley. Now, listen to this. This is not like if you're thinking, oh, big corporations. No, it's every organization. What Claudette has done is she's looked at uh, with over 15 years of experience, whether an inside consultant or an outside consultant, and she's looked at the organizations that excel. And what is it that they do that sets them apart? And as a result of that, what she has created is something incredible, something which blends together both the intelligence of a culture and the emotions of a culture that brings through, you know, the whole idea of what it means for an entire organization to come together in support of creating excellence. And that is cultural brilliance. Today, she's going to take us on a journey so that we can understand what it is this model is about. What is she brought into the conversation that nobody to date that I know of has brought into the conversation of cultures. Why is it that some folks do a really great job at this and others don't? Today, you're going to get to hear from her what the essence is of cultural brilliance. But more than that, you know, as a CEO of her own organization, as somebody that has worked to help design culture help culture excel, increase return on investment, and bring to the forefront for everyone how to create employees that feel like they are being heard. So fasten your seatbelt. Here we go. Claudette, this is a great show. It is so great to have you here. Oh, thanks so much, Pat. I'm really excited to be here. 
Yeah. I mean, we have been chatting about cultural brilliance, you and I now, for several months. And it is so amazing to see how this is all coming together and how absolutely important it is. And even in the past shows we've done, we haven't really taken a breath, let's say, to talk about cultural brilliance. But that is today's show, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's great to be able to talk about cultural brilliance itself and what that really means. I love the term, by the way. I mean, it, it gives me a whole different feeling about it. And I wanted to ask you about this. What does it really mean? But, uh, but here's what I love about this. Usually when you hear the word culture, culture change, it's like really heavy. You know what I mean? But when we hear cultural brilliance, it really just lightens the whole thing up. Tell us what this means. Yeah, I'm happy to. So we're talking about cultural brilliance. We're talking about a culture that's authentic and responsive to the needs of its people, its systems, and the external environment. So as you said, the idea is that we can have a lighter culture, that even if an organization is doing serious work, um, maybe really, really challenging work or going through a challenging time itself, the culture, the culture can still be brilliant. This culture can still be light and transformative and take the organization where it needs to go. Yeah. And, you know, in the process of building this and looking at this and, and really coming up with this idea of cultural brilliance, you have seen a few things, right? You have been able to say, you know what, maybe we do learn from the things we don't do so perfect, right? Or we don't do so well. Um, what have you discovered about these cultures that really have stood out to you? You know, what, what are some of the attributes that they have and their people have? And I want to say this, if we could, because we're going to talk about this today. Culture involves people. It's not just a blueprint of some organizational change model, right? Tell exactly. us about brilliant cultures and how they honor their people. That's really the home, one of the hallmarks of a brilliant culture, actually, is that it does honor the people. And so when we talk about a culture that's brilliant, I like to think of it as it's an environment that's self-aware. So people become, and the leaders and the employees, all everyone involved in the organization becomes an expert on the culture. So when you go into the culture, people, people are willing to tell the truth about it. They're willing to be open and honest about it. Oh, everything that works well in the culture, and as, as it is true with all cultures, whether it's an organizational culture, a family culture, a country's culture, right? There are always some, some downsides or blind spots. But there's a truthfulness to it um, and a matter of factness. That this is who we are and this is what we do. And to your point about, pe yeah, culture is about people. And sometimes we forget about that. Um, one of the things, for example, I love that Google does, instead of having a human resources department, it has a people operations department, which I think is a much better way to describe that function. Um, and so they're really looking at, we have, this is about people and how they operate within our organization and how we can actually support them as they move forward throughout our culture. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think we've also talked about in the past was how unheard people feel, how invisible people feel. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's there's a point in time where we look at that and step back as you have done in in looking at cultures as brilliant, right? Cultural mm -hmm. brilliance. And I wanted to ask you uh, about employees and people that have put their time and energy into an organization, do you have a sense of what it is they expect? Do you have a sense of, of, of now 
with a new model for for culture, uh, how is it they are going to be more engaged in the conversation? I think they become more engaged in the conversation when the leaders of the organization start listening to them and not only listening, but doing something about what they've said, because it's one Mm -hmm. thing to listen and it's a whole other thing to take some action on what you've heard. And I think when we have a brilliant culture, there's some what I like to call give and take within the culture. There's some flexibility. And so leaders listen and respond as they can. Um, Employees listen to leaders and they respond as they can. So we start to see that there's this quality of listening acknowledging and taking some action based on what we've heard uh, that's inherent in in a more brilliant culture. Yeah. yeah. What are we asking of people, Claudette? And, and this is, I think, a, an important question mm-hmm. because I think you know and I know that we've been on the ends of giving, giving, giving and not getting anything in exchange. And, you know, I don't know if you're a part of this experience, but we went through an era where, you know, management used a very interesting word to kind of escape from the conversation. And they said, well, employees think they're entitled. Well, you know, I don't know that entitled is a good word. I think we believe in a fair exchange of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and I think there's been, you know, more, uh, more and more employees saying, look, you know, we feel betrayed. We feel like, you know, we're being asked to do more with less, as, as the saying goes. Um, we're asked to work all these hours. We're asked to be available via email. And some company cultures, not all, but some company cultures, 24 hours a day. And it just doesn't seem quite like a fair exchange. And so people are asking for trust. They're asking to be listened to. They want a much more authentic environment. They want their ideas to be heard. And they want to move away from the idea that a company's currency is power. And power is really important. And yet in some company cultures, we see that power is the currency versus authenticity, integrity, creativity, innovation. And when you're in a company culture where power is the currency, there cannot be trust because people are just trying to gather their power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, OK, so let's talk about gathering power versus empower. I'm so I'm so glad you used that word. I'm really kind of almost giddy about it. You know, the word power has taken uh, a hit over time uh, as if, you know, uh, employees don't want to feel a sense of power uh, in what they do. And I'm not just talking about executive positions. You know, I, one of the best jobs I've ever had was selling hot dogs from a hot dog cart. But what was it about that job that I really loved? Where does integrity and trust come into the mix? Where does that come in? How do people feel a sense of power from having that enacted in the organization? They feel a sense of power in part when they feel trusted. Uh, they feel that there's a set, the organization has a set of values and that organization's actually living by those values versus just having them on their website and forgetting about it. Um, so I think they feel empowered when there's some trust, when they're allowed to make mistakes and they're not penalized for it. Um, when they're allowed to fail at something in, in the course of trying to create or innovate. And again, they're not penalized for it. Uh, when there's not, you know, a whole set of unspoken rules and assumptions in the organization that nobody ever talks about, but everyone has to live by. Um, so those are ways that people start to feel empowered when there's integrity, trust, there's honesty. We can say what we need to say. We can deb- debate important ideas. We can share our opinions. 
all of that leads to a sense of empowerment, no matter where you are in the organization, no matter what your job is. Yeah, you know, let's take a short break because we've got a lot to talk about here. For those of you tuning in, Claudette Rowley joining me, and I want to just make sure uh, when we come back, we'll make sure we give you lots of information. You know, how do you feel about your organization's culture right now? How are you feeling about it? Do you feel you're invisible? Do you feel there's a level of authenticity? Uh, When we come back, authenticity, why do we, why does Claudette call this the heart of culture? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We'll give you an outline of what the cultural brilliance model looks like and what are the questions you want to be asking yourself. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tim Darter. And I'm Steve Kramer. Join us on Spirit Fire Radio. Discover how to add the mechanics of meditation to your day. And watch yourself connect in a whole new way. Find the amazing moments in life's routines that often pass us by. Add to your awareness with Spirit Fire Radio. Tune in each Wednesday at 9 a.m. for your weekly guide to practical mindfulness. And to learn more, visit www.spiritfireradio.com. Song of the Heart. Walking the Path of Light from author and healer Francine Vale is available now. Through Francine's life story, we learn how imperative it is to love one another. Once this simple truth is learned, peace on earth will prevail. Song of the Heart is a life lived and a story told for this purpose. To learn more about Francine and her amazing gifts, or to order your copy of the book today, visit angelsandlightbeings.com. Have you ever tried to make lifestyle changes but had difficulty following through? Imagine what it would be like to get up each morning with energy, clarity, and motivation to tackle the day. If you want to get past limiting barriers that are preventing you from living your best life, join holistic health and wellness coach T. Carrie Mitchell each month on The Dr. Pat Show. Or visit Lifestyle120.com today and start to receive the personal attention you deserve. Holistic Medical Center is where you find it all. A healthy space with doctors who care, see, and listen to the whole you. Hi, this is Dr. Darvish. If you have not found an answer to your chronic symptoms, you will find answers here at Holistic Medical Center. Our doctors find the root cause of your symptoms and guide your body towards healing naturally. We transform lives from within. Visit drdarvish.com or call 425-451-0404. A word of caution, if you prefer the status quo and you are not interested in improving every aspect of your life, this book will trigger the shift out of you. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens is available now. Author Colette Steffen brings the powerful knowledge and life-changing energy and empowerment from the radio airwaves to the pages of her new book. To get your copy in paperback or ebook, visit thetruthisfunny.com today. 
Sky Siegel co-hosts one of today's most popular psychic shows, Angels and Answers, with Artie Hoffman as she communicates healing messages from the spirit world. These messages can be astounding, enlightening, and life-changing. Born with the God-given talent of inner guidance and the amazing ability to heal, Sky has healed thousands of people. Schedule a reading with Sky now. Call 908-500-1474 and visit skyofangels.com. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's so great to have all of you tuning us in, turning us on. Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence. My co-host joining me here today, Claudette Riley. And here's what. We are talking about something amazing she has created, this phenomenal model, uh, one that has really not been, uh, first of all, developed prior to her doing it or even talked about really. It's cultural brilliance. It is a way, a new innovative way to work with organization, to bring out the best of the best, you know, to bring out that blueprint of organizational excellence, that thing that individuals, people that work in organizations really do want to see. Uh, Claudette, before we jump ahead and we talk about authenticity, the heart of culture, let people know the best way they can find out more about you, also find out more about about the model. Oh, thanks, Pat. Yeah, the best way to find out more about me and the model is my website, which is ClaudetteRowley.com. Yeah, and, and also uh, you'll be able to sign up for Claudette's newsletter. Tell folks a little bit about what you do in your newsletter. I have a weekly newsletter. It's called Leadership Mindset. And what's great yeah. about it is it's just about a paragraph that comes out every Monday morning to get you started thinking about your leadership. Yeah. So easy to sign up for right on the website. Yeah. It's really kind of cool because they are fabulous tidbits, things that you don't think about. And, you know, I would encourage all of you listening and you listen into the show. You might want to share them with your bosses, too. That's usually a pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> good, good idea. Yeah. Okay, authenticity, the heart of culture. Wow, that is a powerful statement. And I'm so interested on, first of all, authenticity and how important it is in this model. But the heart of culture, boy, we have certainly forgot about that in the past 10 years. Talk a little bit about this, if you if you would. Yeah, I'd love to. So the cultural brilliance model has three aspects to it, authenticity, design, and integration. So when we're talking about authenticity, as you said, it is the heart of culture. It's, it's this beating heart of culture. It's what makes a culture actually alive, the authenticity. So we can't design and integrate without authenticity. And what we're talking about when we say authenticity is really understanding um, what the norms are in an organization, the hidden norms, the observable norms, and being able to pull those out and tell the truth about it. Authenticity is also about aligning, aligning an organization, aligning its people. Um, a couple of things about authenticity that I really love include things like this idea that um, there's a woman named Barbara Kellerman who's a well-known researcher and author on leadership. And I saw her speak last year and she said, you know what, I no longer talk about leaders without talking about followers because leaders and followers go hand in hand, which makes a lot of sense, right? You can't have leaders without followers. You're not going to have followers without leaders. And I believe that kind of synergy is really part of an authentic culture. 
um, understanding all the different parts and components. Another way we'll see authenticity emerge uh, is in the form of someone who finally tells the truth about a culture. And what's coming to mind is the movie and the real life story of Erin Brockovich mm. that most of us have heard of, you know, where she uncovered as, you know, as, as the story goes, what a massive corporate corporate culture was doing to actually make people ill. And she said, no, that, that's not going to happen. And we see this with whistle, whistleblowers all the time. It's someone who are usually at risk to themselves uh, in their career stands up and says, no, this isn't going to work anymore. This is not okay. And I'm going to tell the truth. And at that moment, authenticity becomes part of that culture again. Yeah. Wasn't that a fascinating movie, though? I mean, wasn't it really, you know, didn't it really expose something that, you know, we think is a one, we, we think about this from a cultural point of view, right, Claudette? We think about, wow, that was an anomaly that that, that company, that utility operated like that, but it really wasn't, was it? You know, no, no right? No, it wasn't an anomaly because we see, we see this all the time where, organizations become what I call culture blind, that people just become part of the culture. And if the culture of that company uh, in, in the Aaron Brockovich movie was that, you know, we just do what we do. We don't ask questions. Um, we, it doesn't really matter that we're hurting people. We're here to continue our process of, you know, of, of making money and moving forward with our own growth as an organization without thinking about the impact on human life in this case. And that's like all going culture blind, where people just become part of it. They want to they want to keep their jobs, and they turn a blind eye to what is actually happening, what the impact is of these this kind of a company's decision. Yeah, yeah, and, and a lot. Isn't it fascinating? To, you know that if they would have had this model, you know, if that utility company would have had this model and actually entertained having a conversation with the people in the organization, perhaps things would have gone differently. But the whole culture was sworn to silence. That is the craziest thing I've ever seen. But now we're finding out that that is not unusual, uh, given what we've seen, you know, recently with the banking industry and so forth. You know, this has become the norm. How is authenticity? How is this approach going to bring innovation back to companies, right? Because we really need to, to have that chat. Yeah, we do really need to have that chat, right? Yeah. Um, so authenticity, I mean, I there was an article in Fast Company recently that I really liked about innovative cultures, and it talked about um, a process of listening, staying open, collaborating, embracing failure. And the one step that really struck me, and this is completely in alignment with authenticity, is this idea of staying open in a, in a company that ideas aren't always coming from the top, aren't always coming from experts, that some of the best innovations come from people who maybe are in an entry-level position in the company, uh, maybe someone off to the side somewhere who has this particular perspective on a problem and so has a particular solution. And organizations, most of them, have a really hard time staying open-minded and long enough so that people who may seem a little bit off the beaten path within the company can come forward and say, wait, you know what? I have an answer to this. I have a particular solution because I work with this machine day in and day out, or I work on this particular website day in and day out. And I can actually give you some information that's going to help you come up with a great solution. So if companies could stay open a little bit longer 
they would be able to innovate more quickly, more easily, and be a lot more productive. And I think that really goes hand in hand with this idea of authenticity, listening to people, and really allowing everyone to bring the best of who they are into the workplace and into the culture. Yeah. You know, I don't know how many times we can talk about this, how we can talk about uh, the best way to get some insight to support an organization's growth. And, and we think sometimes we can do this by being so out of alignment with what leadership says and what the people really feel and see. How do we get this alignment thing happening? You know what I'm saying? Because you know and I know that the whole leadership thing and pushing the direction forward without the buy-in of the rest of the organization, that can only go so far. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. And I think one other aspect of authenticity that we haven't touched on yet is this idea that it has this reality check built in. So that when we're looking at what's happening in an organization, people are willing to not only tell the truth about it, but be realistic. Like, this is actually where we are today. Here are the opportunities. Here are some of the threats. You know, this is what we're actually dealing with. And from here, we can now make better decisions because we're not basing our decisions on thinking the world operates in a way that it hasn't operated for 10 years. Or the way our leader thinks that maybe is in alignment, in alignment with where we're trying to go. I'm fascinated by the concept of alignment because alignment is not about everyone agreeing. It's about people saying we w- we're willing to get behind something and align behind it and make it happen within our organization. And when we start to see cultures getting aligned in that particular, particular way, they usually really take off. It really sets the stage for something new and innovative to happen. Yeah. Innovation is so important. And what it, what is it? Innovate or die? I mean, we've heard this over and over again. Uh, and even organizations, right, Claudette, that think that, well, we're kind of doing pretty good. We're kind of holding our own. We're not really, you know, we don't need a big innovation push. Even with that, they don't realize that their competition has already surpassed them. By the time they get the sentence out of their uh, out of their mouth and take another breath, that that competition that you thought wasn't going to catch up is already beyond you. I mean, haven't we seen this over and over and over again? Yeah, and and it it also speaks to sometimes companies are thinking, oh, we should innovate to innovate. Well, you <laughs> it, right, you, you don't innovate to innovate. You innovate because maybe you want to solve a problem more effectively. You want to keep up with your competition and hopefully surpass them. Um, and the other thing about authenticity I want to make sure to mention yeah. is that sometimes we will look at what's authentic in a culture and we will discover that what's authentic does not support that particular culture. It is not – there may be – I mean I've worked in organizations where when we really looked at what was authentic in the culture, we realized one particular company is coming to mind that part of that culture is that people were so deeply unkind to each other, even uncivil to each other. And that even though that was authentic for that particular culture, once everyone realized it and told the truth about it, most people were really behind changing that. Uh, that. And the other aspect of um, – another important piece of the authenticity phase of cultural brilliance is that sometimes people will say, oh, this is our culture and they'll paint a portrait for me and I'll talk to people about it and will begin to realize that the culture they think they have is not what they actually have. So they might have what we might even call an imposter culture. Yeah. 
they're saying, you know, this is what we stand for. We're creative and innovative. Um, we make sure that people are treated really well in our organization. We, uh, we value being really productive. Uh, trust is part of our, you know, things like that. But when we get in deep into the culture, we realize that that's not actually happening. That's not what's really authentic about that culture in that particular moment in time. And so we can't go trying to change a culture when we're looking at the imposter. We need to get to what's real and authentic about a culture, even if it's not what's best at that moment. That's the hard thing, isn't it? Isn't it? it? That's the hard thing. But you cannot avoid this because if you do avoid this, if you go and and take the flight or flight or fight approach to this, then what happens in a short period of time, the organization really starts to have levels of conflict uh, within itself that then requires even more of of a discussion and a conversation to change, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Um, and, and organizations, though, have to get, even though it's hard, they have to get to what's actually going on. They have to be willing to talk about it. And they have to be willing to break down what is sometimes a, a sort of a clay layer, so to speak, between senior leadership and the rest of the organization, where sometimes information can't get through that layer up to the senior leaders. And in the case of shifting culture and creating a more brilliant culture, we have to break through that layer and again, talk about what's actually going on within an organization. Mm. It's huge. You mm. can't move forward without it. Yeah. I mean, uh, agreement, agreement, agreement. Everybody wants to agree. But sometimes, at least as we're seeing right now uh, in the headlines, agreement isn't always the case. But is agreement the end game or are we really uh, setting a different goal when we're talking about authenticity? We're not all going to agree, are we? No, we're not all going to agree. And I don't, I, <laughs> I agree. That's not really the point of this <laughs> it, at all. It's, re, it's actually getting to, I think of it as, as truth telling. And of course, we're all going to have our own individual truths in an organization. What I do find though, is that typically you have enough truth, quote unquote, overlapping that you get a general sense of what's going on. Uh, and then you can begin to hopefully have a very different conversation about your culture and although some things that are challenging or hard might will probably get said in that conversation, we can then start to move up to something lighter as we started our conversation, you and I started our conversation with today, this idea, the cultural brilliance does have a lightness to it. And I find that once people, the truth gets out on the table, people are usually relieved. Yeah. I mean, they might be a little discouraged and things like that too, but they're relieved. And I've, you know, I've come into organizations where that's the case, like we are relieved that people are telling the truth, that we've gotten this out on the table, and then we can actually move forward to figuring out what kind of culture we do need, what's going to support our organization and our people the best, and then we can move into starting to design and integrate, which is you know usually a much lighter part of the process. And there's a lot of excitement and positivity and optimism in those aspects. Yeah. You know, I think I touched upon the word alignment before and uh, we didn't really elaborate on that. And I want to go back to that that word because it's it's a word that's used a lot in the world and it's used in a lot of different places. I know for me, 
that the, the every time I hear the word alignment, I think of my brakes and the and the wheels on my car, right? Uh, 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 I, I, no, no kidding. I, I do. Yeah. I think about them and I think about what happens right before somebody tells you your 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 wheels, your tires are out of alignment. You've had some kind of event where you've either swerved or you lost control. Uh, and here, here it is, and I think you mentioned it earlier, the word is coming up with regard to authenticity and culture. Where does that fit in? Yeah, it fits in with, again, alignment. Not Alignment doesn't mean everybody agree. it's yeah. it agrees. It's not even really about consensus necessarily. It's about people being willing to seek out common interests and move forward with their, from there. So it's consciously agreeing to move in the same direction. Mm. That's a big part of alignment. We consciously agree and intentionally agree that we are going to move forward in the same direction. So while we may not, in the case of culture, we may not agree on every nuance and detail mm. about our culture. On, when it comes to the, you know, the big chunks of it, the values, what, what our strategic goal is that we're trying to move toward, what's important to all of us as people, what is the heart you know, beating inside of our culture, so to speak, we're, we're going to get behind each other and we're going to walk together um, you know, toward a common goal. And I think that's where alignment fits in with authenticity. And inherent authenticity is this idea, of course, that we're not always going to agree. So an authentic culture is not a culture where everyone gets along all the time and always agrees. And I sometimes hear the word authenticity used in that way as though we will always agree and we will, it'll always be harmonious. I don't think that's realistic and I don't think we really <laughs> want that because we need some disagreement. We need people to bring things up. It generates energy and passion for what you're doing. Yeah, I love that this is part of what you're doing and how big this is. We're going to take a short break, everyone. When we come back, we're going to talk with you about, yeah, okay, if authenticity is the heart of culture, then what's design? Oh, wait, it's the vision of culture. Stay tuned. And later on, we're going to talk about integration, the mind of culture. We're probably going to skip that next break. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Leslie Fontaine, and my show is Sheer Alchemy on TransformationTalkRadio.com. When we're bogged down with our emotions, the hardships that plague us in our relationships, at work, our finances, we literally can't see the higher plane where we could be operating from. Tune in to Leslie Fontaine, Sheer Alchemy on TransformationTalkRadio.com. If you're one of the millions of Americans suffering from anxiety, you probably know how powerless and out of control this emotion can make you feel. This is why it is so important to remember that anxiety is created by your mind, which means that you can learn to use your mind to uncreate it. Hello, my name is Dr. Friedman Schaub. My award-winning book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution, provides you with a step-by-step -step breakthrough process to understand and resolve the root causes of your anxiety and build a solid foundation of confidence and inner peace. If you're ready to take your power back, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. That's thefearandanxietysolution.com. Or call 866-903-6463. That's 866-903-6463. 
mind. I'm Peggy Snow with another Stellar Reflections Minute. Presence, or what we think of as being fully in the moment, is a key element in the process of healing work. As a practitioner facilitating a session, genuine presence takes us out of our heads where we tend to decide what is and maybe what should be for the client and moves us into direct experience where we're available to witness the person in their wholeness. In this receptive realm, our senses are heightened and expanded, allowing us to perceive what's seeking to unfold and to interact in the moment. There's something profoundly powerful that happens when healing is approached in this simple, pure way. Balance can be restored and healing can take place on multiple levels. If you'd like more information about the services we offer at Stellar Reflections, visit us at StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. What is a brilliant culture? And how do we create them? Why are they important? Claudette Rowley has created a breakthrough five-step process to help you design a culture that is authentic, innovative, and successful. Learn how to create change with Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence, and Claudette Rowley. To learn more or work with Claudette, visit ClaudetteRowley.com. Welcome back. Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence. Claudette Rowley joining me here today. I want to just say to everyone that what Claudette has created is not just a new way to look at organizations, to look at what's working, but also to work with organizations in a way that engages people, that, you know, has a an air about it so that people might show up and have a voice in what's happening in the organization in a way that's safe but yet is also heard because this is not about just popping in there and listening to stories now that's what we're talking about now is that from those stories there is a design that emerges And Claudette, you call design the vision of culture. And isn't that really key? Isn't that really what's different here? Is in authenticity, you're pulling in both the climate and conversations about culture. But now we're going to go to what do we do next? Exactly, exactly. What do we do next? And so we take authenticity, the heart of culture, and we move into the design Right. So we've 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 worked on understanding the culture, what's authentic about it, where we'd like to go potentially with the culture. And now we get to start bringing it to life with the vision of culture. And we start to explore what could this actually what could this this brilliant culture actually look like for our organization? And how can we design an intentional blueprint for how that culture could tactically and strategically and, you know, in everyday life operate within our organization. So we start to take the idea and construct a way for it to come to life within the design process. I find a lot of times this gets all, you know, there are three phases to the cultural brilliance model, authenticity, design, and integration. And often one or two of them 
get missed when an organization decides to shift or change its culture. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's the design phase. They, an organization doesn't know that it needs to intentionally create a blueprint to move this forward. And that's what we try to do here with, with design, cultural brilliance design. Yeah. You know, we think so often that when we spend that time, you know, honestly and opening in organizations, one of the biggest complaints that come out of organizations is the fact that why are we going to talk about this stuff when nothing happens? But the model that you have says, wait a minute, if I'm going to work with your organization, not only are we going to talk about it, but we're now going to make sure that what is said is converted into a vision, right? Mm-hmm. It's converted into a vision. And I want to talk with you about how this all comes together because you've created this model that's on your website where we're looking at vision intersecting with authenticity and what that comes to mean when now we have two of these elements, right, together. What are yes. some of the things that happen when we now put vision and authenticity together? It's huge. It's huge when you start to put vision and authenticity together, right? Because you know what's real and authentic, and then we start to actually – the vision's like painting a picture, depending on how you think about vision. It's like painting a picture about what could be. So it, it, I, I think of the design phase is moving from talking about our culture and understanding it to under, to start to begin, begin to de- design what it could be. And that's a, that's a point where people get really excited usually. You know, we're, we're designing what could be. And that's what the vision is about. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as we're looking at the vision and we're looking at, you know, putting this together, we're also looking at some kind of transformation that happens. One that is actually a transformation that requires a different level of consciousness. Right? Yeah. It that, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. It absolutely does. It absolutely does require a different level of consciousness because I, you can't, in order to create a brilliant culture, you can't continue to be unconscious, so to speak, to what's going on in your organization. Yeah, as we've talked about earlier in the show today, you have to be truthful about what's going on, even if there are different versions of truth, right? You start to get a kernel of what, what the basic truth is in an organization and in its culture. So it, it's a huge, it's, it's a very transformational phase of the process when we begin to design uh, and people get to see. Um, Seth Godin, who's written many, many books as a marketing guru, probably many people are familiar with, talks about two things that I'm fascinated by, transitions and then breakpoints. And he, in a couple of his blog posts, he talked about each of these. And the transitions was really this idea that as much as we might dread transition and change as individuals or as organizations, a lot of the energy, a lot of the ways we get energy and excitement actually comes from the point of transition or transformation when we think about it. Moving into a new job, leaving a role, getting a new boss, all those things. There might be stress behind it, but it's also a moment in time when there's a lot usually a lot of energy for us. There's a lot of opportunity. And I think the design phase really starts to bring that to life where people begin to see, oh, even though this is going to be a transition for us, which yes, transition means change and a transformation, there are a lot of great opportunities in this. The other thing he talks about, Seth Godin talks about with breakpoints is the metaphor of when, you know, we, when we have a sidewalk poured along, you know, along a street, 
one of the reasons we have the lines, you know, in each each block of the cement in the sidewalk is so if something happens, something drops on that, the whole thing doesn't crack because there's a break point every five or 10 feet in the sidewalk. And I was so struck by that as a metaphor for cultural design that we really need to have some break points along the design. So if something's not working well or something doesn't work as intended, which happens in design, we have a way to relieve some of that pressure. Um, and that's another way people start to understand that this this idea of design and vision is is what can be, what we're becoming, and also it has has some safety valves in place. It has things in place in the design. So if things don't work in the real world as real world as we intended, you know, we can actually come back and fix that. So it's not mm. about being perfect as a culture. Wow. And you know, this really then, you know, is leading us to wait a minute, it's not really perfect. You know, here we go. But what happens with this is we move to a place where we cannot help as we're doing the vision, we cannot help uh, thinking about, you know, specifically, especially for a lot of uh, left brain people, it's like, how do I take this and put it into action? And that's where integration comes in, the mind of culture, right? You know, this is where now we're having We've had the conversation about authenticity. We've now set forth a, a vision that involves people of the organization. And now here we are. How do we put things into place? Because this is where people think they're going to lose something, mostly lose some level of power that they might think they have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely, they do. People, And that's one of the big fears is I will somehow lose something. I'm going to lose power. Yeah, I'm going to lose status. I'm going to I, I'm going to lose this job that I love. It could be so many different things as we make this change. And integration, integration is the mind of culture, and it is really about where we begin to make this real. Mm-hmm. We've made it authentic. We've designed it. We've created an authentic culture. We've started to design what that can look like. We're hopefully, uh, for doing things right, we've tried it out in a couple of places within an organization to make sure the design works, gotten feedback from people at all levels, again, to make sure it's working for them and we tweak it. And then we really move into this this mind of culture where things come to life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let's talk about the mind of culture because this is really the part of the process that people cannot wait to get to. Cannot wait to get to this, you know, this idea, this cultural integration. How do you go about this? What do you, what do you do in, in looking at what has been shared in authenticity? Now, what has been put on the table for the vision, and, you know, which is probably going to be at the 36,000-foot level. Now, integration, the mind of culture, is this where we really get in there and roll up our sleeves? Yeah, we really do. We really get in there and roll up our sleeves. And this is where we get into a lot of the nuts and bolts, right? What's our plan? What are the objectives? Who's going to do what? And I find most organizations fall into one of two camps. As you said, they can't wait to get here to integration so they can take action. They can do something. And then there's some organizations that actually love the authenticity and design phases more because they're fascinated by the ideas and what they're creating. And then they'll, they'll do, they'll kind of skimp on the integration phase of it. And that usually creates in either mm-hmm. case, in, whether you try to integrate too fast, or you don't integrate well or pay enough attention to it. In either case, you really are um, going to create frustra- extreme frustration, most yeah. likely among your employees yeah. um, because this isn't going to come together well. 
Yeah. I mean, isn't this the famous story about taking uh, employee satisfaction surveys and what happens with people when they bring in another employee satisfaction survey? You know, isn't this the story that goes back decades and decades and decades, which really talks to, oh, my gosh, one more time, they're going to ask us how we feel about something and do nothing about it. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, don't you have to do something? I know that you are a big fan of Peter Drucker and he has something interesting to say about this. <laughs> he does. And Edgar Schein does, too, as well. Yeah. So Peter Drucker, uh, his quote that I love is if you if you want something new, you have to stop doing something old, which may sound so. Com it's, it's common sense. But right. when we really think about it, a lot of organizations, a lot of us as people don't necessarily do this. We don't think about what we need to stop doing when we start doing something new. Something else, Ed Edgar Schein, I heard him say recently on a webinar, who is one of the forefathers of organizational culture, yeah. talked about this idea, going back to your comment about employee satisfaction surveys. He said, sometimes organizations don't take into, the ca into account is if they do an employee satisfaction or an employee engagement survey, they've got to actually do something about the results they receive because if they don't, they break trust. So yeah. if you're going to put out a survey, you actually are just, you've just taken on a mantle of responsibility yeah. to respond to what people say, to take some action in a timely manner, um, to not just say, these are the results and we'll think about now what we're going to do for the next six months. That's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, then we're back into the same old conversation about, my gosh, how did we get? Don't you hear this? I don't know how we got back here. I don't know how we got back here with employees being dis, dis alienated. I don't know how we got back here. But from where you see sit, you've seen so much of this. And at each step of the way, the potentiality for this to go sideways. That's why your model is not just three bullet points on a piece of paper. These are literally, when you go to Claudette's website, what you're going to see is three circles that are interrelated. There's a relationship between each of these. So I don't imagine, Claudette, you're going to go into an organization that says, you know what, I think I want to do that design thing, but I'm not really sure that I want to do the other two. What do you say to folks like that? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> yeah. So yes, the model, the cultural brilliance model is a Venn diagram for a reason. And um, I, I explained that really you can't, you cannot, it'd be like eating only one food group all the time, right? I'm only eating protein, but nothing else. Okay. You could, that you'd probably be fine for a long time, but eventually your body would, would not be as healthy as it could be. And this is the same idea that you can't just go in and design because what are you going to design? You know, if you haven't, figured out what's authentic and you're not going to have a plan for integration. Yeah. Yeah. You've, yeah. you've really got, it's, it's a holistic model uh, and you have, you have to address all yeah. three. Yeah. Otherwise I mean, it's like a, otherwise it's like a, a sports team who's, <laughs> you know, about to win a championship and they rest on their laurels. And we've seen so many, you know, decades of those kinds of stories, right. Where then the team, the other, the team that's losing in the last couple of minutes of the game says, wow, we have an opportunity. They're not paying a lot of attention anymore, and they sc score some touchdowns and win. Oh, now you're talking about yeah. the Seahawks. There right. we go. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you, for those of us that live out here with the Seahawks, we don't really appreciate those nail biters, right? We don't really appreciate that. But you're right about that. You know, we change our approach and our whole attitude about – 
what we want to happen. I love that you that you shared that because we do that in organizations and we think it is the safest way to play the, you know, to play this out. But yet it's not. We think that wow, by not taking the time and effort, by not learning what this is about, by not using a process that doesn't leave anybody out, you know, we get to talk about the things that have been in the room anyway. So don't we think it's fascinating that because we're not talking about and we think they go away, the issues? It, it is, and it's that, that famous definition of dysfunction we all know, right? Doing the same yeah. thing over and over again <laughs> and expecting a different result. Yeah. We, see it, we do see it over and over again in organizations where this idea is if we don't talk about it, it might go away. I don't want to address it. That might be safer. When one of the smartest things you could possibly do is actually acknowledge what's happening within yeah. your culture to the positive and the negative. Acknowledge right. both. Right. I mean, I think that is so important. And to make sure, and this is really this is really a tough one, to make sure that when you do share your opinion, there is no punishment for it. I think that in the past 10 years, we've seen a lot of punishment for people that are speaking up about what they believe. And I know that in the work you do uh, and talking about this, that that is a no-no, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a no, no. Right. Part of having a brilliant culture is that people feel safe to speak up and say what's on their mind, share their opinions. There, you know, there's an environment of safety where you can debate really important issues. And part of that's what I like to call the cultural landscape, which mm-hmm. is, you know, what is the health and well-being of our culture and our organization? What does that look like? And cultural landscape also includes you know what are what are what's the history of our culture what are the traditions what are the rituals all of those things but you have to you have to have an, a landscape where it's safe to speak up in order to have a successful brilliant culture yeah absolutely wow. Well, this I got to tell you, this hour has gone by. We're going to continue to really uh, have Claudette share some of the amazing things that this particular description, cultural brilliance, really touches. And without this in organizations, you know, forget about talking about return on investment. Forget about talking about prop. Forget about it. Um, this is really now what is never talked about, which is below the tip of the iceberg, and yet people are so wanting to be part of their organizations again. Can you tell folks again the best way to find out more about you? But most importantly, for anybody listening to this this show, doesn't matter where you where you live, how can they contact you directly? Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, so my website is claudetrowley.com. Um, email address is right there on the website. And the other thing I want to share with folks is that I have a um, very short couple of paragraph weekly newsletter that goes out called Leadership Mindset. And it comes out on Monday morning. It's a great way to start thinking about leadership for the week. No matter where you are in an organization, we're all, we all, we're all leading. We're all leading. Yeah. I love this. Claudette, thank you. One last question. Personal message. What is it? What would you like to leave us with? When I think about cultural brilliance, I love uh, one of the quotes by Gandhi, be the change you want to see. And I think if we're the, we become the change we want to see in organizations, our organizations can shift and change and become brilliant much, much more quickly. So that's what I'd love to leave people with. Oh, I love it. And I love that because now we can show up authentically and do that. Our vision will give new insight for what we can create. 
And when we're thinking about putting that vision on paper, we get to see it all come together. Thank you for all the great work that you do, Claudette. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Pat. All right. For those of you out there, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. You've been listening to the hit show Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence with Claudette Rowley. Conversations that are transforming the world of culture and business. You can download this podcast and find out more about Claudette and her breakthrough work at ClaudetteRowley.com. Please contact Claudette and find out how you can create a brilliant culture. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.